Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then Crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. You like that, huh? I love it. That's our, our professional I, I intro with, with music. I do my little, uh. It has a little, little skip in my step. And just, just for some behind-the-scenes info, we hire a voiceover actor. Do I'm we know say. her name? Do we get no, her name? No, no, but... We asked specifically for her to sound uh, like the person that does, that was the voiceover actress for Night Flight, the show right. from the 80s. Right. And if you go back and find her on YouTube, I thought this girl did a remarkable job. So we were tickled pink by it. Neither of our wives got it, um, but neither one of them no, knew what they the probably didn't want, they Night probably Flight didn't, was. They probably aren't old enough. We married really young. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, that's when a, you marry somebody 20 years younger than you. That's another podcast. You know. But no, they probably didn't stay up watching Night Flight. They watched actual MTV. Right. But uh, but we spent the night over at each other's houses. Right. And you stayed, um, and, and the mom ordered pizza. Right. And you stood around, and you talked, and you kind of... And you, weren't, allowed, you right. weren't allowed to watch Showtime late at night because well, no. they had softcore porn, so you would have but to it watch... It was blocked, and you could reach around the back and fuck with the thing. <laughs> But mostly you watched USA Network where Night Flight was on, and you would see all kinds of. And crazy recently, stuff. they re, they put this the stuff on streaming. You can watch. Uh, we spent a few uh, an hour or so the other day after um, recording one day, listening to uh, to that, and saw a crazy video from who was the guy? Gary, Crocus. Gary? There was some Crocus. Oh, Crocus. <laughs> who some... else? Gary. Um, I tried to explain. The guy that did the video that screwed up his whole career. Billy Billy Squire. Billy Squire. Man, yeah. And so I tried to explain to her what had happened. And it was a, the, the video is a takeoff of a famous 80s movie that was popular at the time, right? American Gigolo or you something like that. You looked it up. But boy, just go back and check that video anyway, out. Anyway. That is a career killer it, right there. It was, man. It killed his career. Anyway, welcome to 80s Music Exposure. And this is February... 1980. That's right. And last week was our first episode. How do you think uh, January 1980? Of course. How did how did you think that went? Henry? I think it went. It felt good uh, recording it. I would hope that people in its edited form can kind of see what we're going with here. Well, we hope you guys. To do. We hope you guys respond, and uh, we definitely want people to get, give us feedback on the records we're covering and how we're covering them, and help us make the show better. So here's the criteria we're looking at. Right. Let's do. refresh real quick on that again. All music does reviews, all these records. It's a website, right? Called all music. Right. And we're looking at five star albums. This does, is the, is the all star, all music stars based on it now, or is it an amalgam of reviews at the time? Do now. Even though it is now we're looking at their, their review of the record, the Grammy nominees at the end of the year, I guess. Yes. We're going to look at selections from history that we love, because why the fuck would we do this and not look at the records that we That were really, meaningful to us. Right, that right. we're not going to push on you. 
We're also going to look at Rolling Stone's uh, year-end top 25 from then. If there's an album coming up that you really want covered, but it probably doesn't fit in any of those categories, just let us know and, and we possibly pop it on the list. I know there's some records, Henry, that I liked. Uh, from the early eighties that wouldn't have made any of these criteria. So probably, um, Me too. and of course there's thousands of records out there, but that's what we're going to go with to start with. So now Chris has laid out the order of these, right? Uh, Let's, uh, on his own. Cause he, I think he likes to create, he, he has an idea of how to, how to craft the body of the shows, but these aren't really in any particular order per se. No, this is just, you know. they, yeah, this is just everything that we decided to cover for February, 1980. And Henry, tell us, what the first one is. The first record is going to be Against the Wind by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Seems like yesterday But it was long ago Jane, it was lovely She was the queen of my night there in the darkness with the radio playing low end And the secrets that we share The mountains that we move Caught like a wildfire out of control Till there was nothing left to burn and nothing left to prove Against the Wind, the title track off Against the Wind by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Uh, Henry, I'm going to let you go first on this Okay, one. so this is Bob Seger's 11th album. I wouldn't have known that. For some reason, I thought it was like his third. Did you get the feeling? Did you get that same feeling? I was shocked that it was 11. I I do know a couple of his other albums because I have to, I have to admit my dad was a Bob Seger guy back mm-hmm. in the day. So I knew like Night Moves uh-huh. from like 77, 78 was a big record and it was in our household. That's your favorite. But I did, did you not know, that, know did 11 you? records. That's a lot. Of, That's your favorite word, by the way. What is record? I say record a lot? Yeah. What am I supposed to say? I don't know. But it's just interesting. I've noticed it like three years. Weren't they records? It's totally okay. Yeah, I do the same thing. What do you want me to call them? Nothing. CDs? Nothing. <laughs> no. So I didn't know he had 11 things out, uh, musical pieces. Uh, say the word record is fine. Musical uh, things that. put together yeah. as uh, one piece with different songs on them. I didn't know he had 11 of those. But this one, what I do know about this one is that this uh, a lot of Seeger fans and popular opinion was this was Seeger's attempt to make a go for it, make a widely popular hit record. Sellout record, right? Sellout record, which which I I kind of think he accomplished, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Going back and listening to it, it had a lot more songs that I knew on it than I thought I did that that must have permeated from the radio. 
I think the guy really is a master of like the mid-tempo rocker and the ballad. Now this 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 album has some problems. The it's got a couple up-tempo songs on it, particularly this first track, which what, what, is absolutely that's not horrible. Good. What is it called again? The horizontal bop. Doesn't, that must have been doesn't take a lot. But doesn't it even sound like kind of old man shit? Right now. Oh, he did the horizontal. You read it. Y'all gonna go back and do the horizontal? Part? Well, the funny thing is, anyway. I think I think some of the other songs, the ballads and the mid-tempo rockers, have some nuance to them. This horizontal bop, not only is it there's no nuance, <laughs> it sounds like a like he wrote it in two minutes. It's just like two chords and go. You like you just yeah, like you just um, like it's a throwaway song. Yeah, a throwaway a exactly. And I'm thinking it, as much as I read about how finely crafted this record was. And how much time was spent with it? Why on earth did they put the horizontal bop first, right out of the gate? I think it's because my understanding is that he has some solid sort of working class roots, and doesn't want to stray too far from that. Is it right? And he, and this being his like eleventh record, the guy was a road dog, and apparently he had built a pretty solid working man's bar band type fan base, and maybe he needed to play some of those. Or he just likes the shit, and he just give a damn what we think. You know what I mean? Well, I want, but it's a, but, but you know, for him. I, I thought know. about that, but I think going for it the way he did with this, with some of these ballads and stuff. Yeah, I, I don't. I guess can't see that. But you know, I have to admit that to me was particularly interesting was how well the mid tempo rockers and the ballads were crafted. Right. They sound like worked on. They don't sound off the cuff or right. If you listen to those songs, I mean. You you could make a solid case that he was uh, an even more I don't know poor man Springsteen. Yeah, I mean, like, a, and, I hate to use that term, and I know a lot of his fans said that this was Night Moves without the energy. Like you know, this was Night Moves redone in a let's repackage it for for people, and it's more boring. But yeah, the other that that, that was an interesting point, Henry. About the the more I read about Bob Seger, the more I saw this parallel line running with. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, where he was even more, if this is possible, more of a working man's Bruce. Yeah. And and the, the Silver Bullet Band. I didn't know this is only the fourth record that he did with the Silver Bullet Band. I thought the Silver Bullet Band was just part of the Bob Seger experience. Right. I didn't yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that, that that was a thing. Like it was his heart or just a band he put together made yes. of, of people. Yeah, that, I didn't a know, rotating cast. I, right. I didn't know it was like the East an Street actual, band, that there was an actual group of dudes known as the Silver Bullet I didn't band. either. I read an interview uh, that was put out around this time period where he talked about sort of having to shed his his parents' sort of lazily racist views and having to sort of to escape in, in some ways. And this record was supposed to be about putting a lot of things behind him. And, and moving on rather than dwelling in the past. I thought that was really interesting. Sounds more to me like it was about making money. but Well, that's what he, I mean, at the time. But not in a bad way. I, I don't want to disparage this record because I think it has some really well-crafted pop songs that I would much well, rather hear on the radio than some of the schlock mm, that we did hear. It's his only number one album. And I mean, you, you can't argue with, I mean, I mean you can. There are some probably horrible records that are at number one, but it ain't for no reason that this well, record was was popular. We also have to say we also have to mention uh, Fire Lake, which I almost had to pull the car over Henry when I heard it because I didn't know 
yeah. that he had guest artists on it, and I'm listening, and the background vocals, I'm like, holy shit, somebody, the Eagles you, are on this put fucking it, record. Put it in your headphones, and you will hear s- some guitar work that you're not used to hearing in either the Eagles or the Bob Seger sort of palette. It's not... It, the guitars are not put together the way, but the backing the vocals are unmistakably. Are, it could easily be an Eagles song because of them. I mean, I didn't on, know that. Right? I knew they had a sound, but you don't realize that they have a sound like the Beach Boys or something have their own sound until you hear them. Yeah, backing up Bob Seger and, and put like, and, and, holy and, shit. And when you put that in the headphones, you're like, good grief, right? Because that's what I um, that's what I did. Well, and, I like Henry. I like to think of these records um, when we're reviewing them. How I thought of them then, and how I think of them now. Mm-hmm. Then I thought it was pretty decent uh, radio-friendly rock that would not uh, didn't offend me and kind of stuck in my head. Even as a kid, I think of it the same way now. I can't give it an enthusiastic go-back-and-listen-to because of those up-tempo horror shows that, that, are on it. that are on it. But if you're into type of music, you, you can't go wrong with the ballads and the mid-tempo rockers. I would just fast-forward through Horizontal Bop. And One of the things other. about this I didn't know was that he used the Muscle Shoals rhythm section on, and my notes say tracks 4, 5, 7, 9, and 10. You know, I mean, which lends credence to the idea that you're saying this was his sellout record. I want to make a, a record that I know uh, is going to be a hit by using guys that that well, know this stuff. Guys that have pumped out hit right. after hit after hit. And yeah. they, they get production credit on these songs, which I've never seen before. I've never seen a record say, oh. I mean, six, seven, and nine, you know, Against the Wind, Good For Me, Fire Lake, those were all relative hits on the radio. Yeah. Um, the only one that is also on here that, that I hear on the radio a lot is uh, number uh, song number three, Her Strut. I don't think you, Muscle Shoals guys are not on that one. Uh, strut. Yep, I remember They that. love to watch a strut. That wasn't a big hit, right? I mean, it's not, but it was definitely on the radio some. But you're saying that so the ones that they played on were the hits? At least three of the ones that you said they played on were. And I'm seeing like this. that I know that they, they splintered off afterwards. Like there were some seeds of discontent or that seemed to like maybe be in place here because they played Silver Bullet was on tracks one through three, number six, eight. Muscle Shoals rhythm section is on. Four, five, seven, nine, and ten. Right. So five of the nine songs he u- used most the those guys. Which you know, if you're if you're playing with Bob Seger in his band, you really don't want to be replaced on the album. But so, uh, what would you, Henry? What would you? How would you? What would your final thoughts be? Uh, on this go record? back and listen to it for the mid tempo stuff, and listen for particularly on. Fi- go back and listen to f- just Fire Lake. Yeah, I would say you gotta listen to Fire Lake. Listen just to, to hear that the Eagles shit going. Listen on. to that one, then go back and listen to the big hits. Sounds like I'm a huge Eagles fan again, again and you're not really. They're assholes, kind of. Uh, <laughs> we'll cover those records. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, again, what's the against the wind, against the, the wind. big hit? That's the big hit. Oh, uh, uh, her strut is a minor hit. Mm. It's on bypass the that one. <laughs> Fire Lake. Fire Lake. But there's another. There's a ballad. There's a big ballad on there as well. Um, oh, it's accompany me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll accompany me. The second track, which Someday, should be, baby, which should be the, me. yeah, which should start the record. Like, why on earth did you start the record with horizontal bop when you got that going second? I don't know. These are questions we'll have to ask. Bob Seger, when he finally when, we interview him for our Patreon, when he comes on the '80s music express, <laughs> right. right? Henry, our next record is called "Hail Him," and it's by Burning Spear. 
And the first, or the song we're going to play for you is called Columbus. Okay, so one thing I did not know about this was I thought Burning Spear was a band. But you stole, I, you stole my thunder. Did I? So sorry. No, I, I, I'm the same way. I didn't know that Burning Spear was a man. When you told me that we were listening to Burning Spear, I thought, okay, I know those guys, plural, or I know of them, plural. People have mentioned them to me. I think there was a right. – was, was there not a regional or local – Reggae band that we went to see a lot in Mojanai. Remember them? Yeah, I remember them. But I, I, I thought we went to see Burning Spear, and I thought it was a band. Well, could it have been? I mean, this was in the when we went. We're going to see bands when we were old enough to go see them. Was ninety two, ninety three? Maybe is it possible that we saw a Burning Spear? Burning Spear, the man. Right. Well, it started out that it was going to be. A band name. But about 1976, the guy decided to take the name. Um, the guy's real name is Winston Rodney. It was originally the name of a group of musicians. One weird thing that I didn't understand, maybe you know more about this, is that it's named after a military award that's given in Kenya. I saw that, too. I read that, too, but I don't know anything about it, um, which made me rethink why the, the cover photo, where he kind of looks like he's in a military type uniform there's a lot of pro-african stuff on on this record right yeah it's got i mean it's got all the hallmarks of uh, the reggae stuff you know it's very pro he's a rastafarian so it's got a lot of that i well first of all here's my first impression listening to this is i have to, i have to say i'm not the best person to review reggae because i can tell you when reggae is bad i'm not very good at telling you when it's good so if i hear terrible reggae i can tell you but well i I can't really differentiate burning spear that much from all the other good reggae i i like it um i will tell you something that listening to this i thought more than say listening to bob marley it definitely sounds this made much more of a connection to me with 70s r&b and soul music from the south the instrumentation is literally 
like Muscle Shoals, like the stack or the stacks Memphis sound. Mm-hmm. You got the horn section. You got the bass that's set up exactly the same way. You got this. All the instrumentation is the same. Maybe a little bit of steel drum, but it's kind of like '70s soul music with a Caribbean twist. I mean, that's what. And probably most of you're sitting out there laughing, going, "Yeah, that's what fucking reggae is." But this really hit home to me that that's what this is more than Bob Marley say because I know Bob Marley. Like I know right. Bob Marley's songs, and and this I was listening to songs that I didn't really know, and I was like, wow, this is just uh, soul music with a bit of a different so, beat. So if if you're a, a white guy here in the southeast United States, you probably your only exposure to reggae music was probably with Bob Marley, maybe Every, Peter Tosh. If you were you, if you were pretty down, like if you were down, you knew of Peter Tosh. You probably didn't have his record yet. You probably knew somebody cool enough that did it. Right. Right. Sure. And you saw this poster. But like uh, everybody who liked music or liked reggae had uh, a copy of Bob Marley's greatest hits. Right. Legend. Yeah, that's the one. Right. It had like a lion on it, probably. It's got a picture of him on the cover, but it's got a lion logo. Yeah. Oh, that he had a lion logo. And so uh, my only uh, early exposure to reggae was. Bob Marley, who is probably the pinnacle of reggae music. He ran Tough Gong. That's where this was recorded. Yes. The, um, it was co-produced by Aston Barrett, who is the band, was the band leader for Bob Marley. So the similarities aren't like, you're not, and I'm not even sure. Did you you look? I don't even know. Some of the whalers may have been on the record. I didn't even, I didn't look that. I just assumed because I was like you, I thought burning spear was a band, but then once I learned it's a guy, maybe he used the whalers at tough gong. I don't know. And so what I know of Marley is probably filtered through a lot of political stuff too. But a lot of the themes on this record are similar. There's a lot of that Rastafarian, there is, but I, what it got to me was it, it sounded more uh, spiritual. I heard a lot of... And type. less less universal. I think Bob yeah. Marley was not just writing... I think Bob Marley was writing at um, yeah. specifically white, hipster, white people. American people. Do you think he enunciated cl- more clearly so mm-hmm. that we could understand it? Because I had some difficulty like uh, listening through the music to listen to what Burning Spear was trying right. to say. It was more heavily uh, accented. And I think that might have been some of the barrier for me here. So, but instead of understanding it on that level, like on the lyrical level, I, 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 I just sort of tried to feel it right instead. And what I got to was sort of this transcendental kind of place where his voice is less about what the words were, but more of a, a, a as a note instrument. Right. Um, I find that interesting because I, I, I think I'm expressing it in a different way, but the same thing. Yeah. I, I listened to it multiple times and it just seemed to wash over me. Yeah. Um, I, I can't really pick out any particular song to tell you really stuck out it, but it all felt good. But generally felt good. I think maybe that was the idea that it was supposed to be transcendental. Well, and, and, and I know that dub music, which is, you know, the next thing after reggae was kind of that way where they would just take samples and, and, loop it for hours but yeah um yeah this one felt more transcendental i i don't want to i don't want to sound um this is one where i you know i'm sure reggae aficionados would have a lot more to say about this i would say if you like bob marley you're gonna love this is not gonna 
you know, you're not going to be like, crap, I can't put the burning spear on. This is horrible. I think if you're a reggae aficionado, I think this is good as well. So I would, I would say it's worth going back and listening to. Did you like the horn section? I love that. Those guys. And I, to me, but they were different. Like it wasn't the normal piercing bleats that a horn, it was almost like you were dragging a horn section behind you. Well, you have have horn section issues. No, I I mean, mean, yeah, but, but like it's, it sounded very similar to Stax record. But it's really cool. Uh, Memphis horn. Is it flat? Is that what I'm listening? I'm hearing. No, is it a just flat more, horn or just, just more laid back? Laid back. Yeah. Maybe just... I like horns that are like uh, not. St- I don't like the staccato piercing stuff. This felt like some guys were. Yeah. Were, this is not. We're riding behind. This, this is not the horn section from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But but it came to me. It's. It sounds know, like they're smoking a lot of weed. But also sounded like some sleepy sort of human cries. You know what I mean. It it wasn't um, it was it stopped being air blown through a horn and I could sort of hear some hum- humanity in what they're doing rather than hey let's put on a show as horn players right does, does that make sense sure yeah. and I you know again uh, my recommendation would be if you're you're wanting to listen to some reggae music and you're tired of always pulling out legend every time you want to listen to reggae music you can't go wrong with hail him good solid reggae record. All right, our next record then is going to be End of the Century by the Ramones. And we're going to listen to Danny Says. You know, Henry, it's interesting. This is the it's hap- it happened last month as well, but I see running themes throughout the records. Um, what that that we have for each month, and and here is the same problem that Bob Seger had. What the Ramones switched producers. They mm-hmm. openly said they were going for mass appeal. Mm-hmm. Joey Ramone actually said he hates this record. Um, he thinks it's the worst batch of shit songs that he ever wrote. And he said he wrote them for one specific purpose, to have mass appeal. Phil Spector is the producer of the record. It sounds like a Phil Spector-produced record, which I'm not, obviously not knocking Phil Spector, but I don't think he was the right. I mean, let's not knock Phil Spector, you know? No, but I, I, yeah, I mean, 
Who am Let's I? Let's be careful. Who am I? Let's I don't want to be careful get, about talking shit about. Yeah, I don't want to get right shot now. either. But I, uh, Mr. Buffon Hair. Yes, but he did. Cartoon he did, man. He did produce some great yeah. records. I just yeah. think, uh, obviously, the Ramones. If if you're a Ramones aficionado, I would say the first three records are the ones you want to listen to. Or the first two. Um, this one is not it. However. In the grand lexicon of the Ramones, which blew my mind, this one is not that badly rated. It's like widely known to be the third or fourth best so, Ramones record. All music thought this was four stars. That's correct. Really? That is remarkable. Yeah, so I mean it's it's I Joey Ramone doesn't like it. Um I, I don't really like it. Uh Tommy Ramone uh quit because of this because he produced all the records. So what I heard was that there's all Phil, kinds of stories? Yeah, Specter went to uh, a Ramon show. Said, "Can I help you with Rocket to Russia?" And they said, "No, it would fuck us up to do that." And but will you do this next one? And the budget went up because it's Phil Specter. So it's like the first record was about sixty four hundred bucks to to do. Uh, the next one was was $10,000. They had $200,000 to spend to make this one. That's what I know. The other bits I knew, the rumor was about probably what you're going to say. You want to pick it up? You know what I'm going to say no, next? No, go ahead. The, about the guns. Well, and, and yeah, the gun, the, and the, the, they held them at gunpoint. Phil Spector held them at gunpoint at some time. And then DD came back and said, there were guns there. He's a gun guy, but he never held us at gunpoint. I do know there's a famous, very similar story for the record he produced with Leonard Cohen, where he's, yeah. Leonard Cohen said he held him at gunpoint in the studio and he thought he was going to kill him. I so heard that maybe Phil, that's part of the process. Phil, Phil Spector. <laughs> I don't know. Phil Spector considered Joey to be another sort of Ronnie Spector. And in and, and all reports, he was a big fan of the Ramones. It wasn't like he was trying to well, sabotage the record. But it sounds th- like he thought he they does, had good songs. Right. And there's rumors of like some weird three hour meeting that him and Joey had up at the top that was that was right before this gun incident. I don't know. I think something crazy did happen, mostly because I can hear it in the record. All the, the criticisms you have of this are probably I believe are are valid. Um, he took all on paper something like this should have worked really well. Yeah, it but should you, have been. It should really. I don't think you can blame them for picking Phil Spector. I mean, think about the kind of music they make. That sort of that harkens back to fifties rock to and roll. Fifties sure. rock and roll. Like who could argue with the fact that this ought to work? But I think the reason I picked uh, Danny says to play was that example. That the first half of the song is basically what Phil Spector does. To a Ramones song, the second half of the song is like letting the Ramones kind of work their way back in. But I think the first it, half just sounds like, the, oh god, the record wildly lurches in quality from like one song to the next. But and, with all that said, Rock and Roll High School, which is what most people that aren't just Ramones fans know, yeah, is on this record. They don't hear that version; they hear a different one. They hear the one that's on. Um, you know, the movie rock, sure, rock, sure. that's got the big crunchy guitars. Joey's hitting the marks. Right. The version that comes through on this record has been neutered. It said it's balls turned. That's right what off. that's what I feel like. Phil Spector, Spector, 
Specter. That's what I feel like Phil Specter did to them on this record. You listen to yeah. the record right before this. It's like the Strokes, or the Strokes are like the Ramon. Yeah. But it's like a Strokes record. And then this one is just like. Which makes me think these gun rumors are true. You know? <laughs> you, wait, you think you think he, he like. They they didn't let him do it. That he just was no. Like, that you you know I don't know, <laughs> but it it sounded like there was a force of there was a there was a physical force bearing down on these guys, making them do this. Well, I have I have trouble, and I, I don't want anyone to uh, turn our podcast off after episode two because you're a huge Ramones fan. I've never really I'm not liked the Ramones. I'm not, but I understand. And a lot of Ramones fans that I are friends with really don't like that I'm not a Ramones fan. I, I know what made the Ramones good. And it wasn't all the things. It it was it it was different things. It wasn't the wall of sounds, Phil Spector no, treatment that they a, needed. This was a swing and a miss. But again, it's not as uh, hated a record as I thought it should be. Um, it's the Ramones must have put out some really bad records in the late eighties, which I guess we'll have to hit because. Well, I mean, a lot of critics didn't like. I mean, there were a few that did. Yeah, but if you look in the if you if you look at overall ratings of Ramones records, best to worst, this one does not go anywhere near the bottom. I mean, the sometimes it worked, but it, but it's followed so quickly by a misfire that you know you hear one of those songs and he adds these little chimey chimey notes. It's toward the end. I didn't even make a note of it. But it's 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 it, it, it takes a normal sort of crunchy Ramones song. Well, listen to, and dresses it up with. Ding dong, ding dong. Well, listen to the beginning of Danny says. You're like, is this even the it's, Ramones? What the hell is that? Right, and here's the thing. Like, like I'm I'm with you. I never was a big Ramones fan, but I appreciated them for what they were. Yeah, we've spent enough time talking about the end of the century. It's not a good record. So let's just. Well, I, I do. There's something else I wanted to say about it. This is the last record Phil Spector did. Ever? Uh, outside of that one with Star Sailor. Back oh, in I did not. I did not know that. Yeah. And there's all kind. Of, you know, on Let's Go, you've got like big actual guitars. I I was so incensed. So he was already. Right, we, he was we, already. Yeah. He we, was already on. The we way pre-planned to a little bit getting our records in order today, and Chris is like, "We need to listen to the Ramones." And so I put it in my ears today. I was like, "This is perfect" because I needed my hate fix. This ain't right. This wasn't right. This this is not. And the bad thing about it is I wanted it to be good. You know, I really did. Yeah. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it, it was like, we kinda, it was such a disappointment. Like if I'd bought it, I'd we didn't, we didn't give the Ramones a fair shot because the first record of theirs to review just happens to be this one, which is not good. So let's it, move on. Uh, the next, our last two records we're going to cover, I want to cover together, Henry, because I think I they're thought, of I, a, I of noticed a you put these together and it's, I found it interesting because I don't know, uh, don't see why, how I'm doing that. I I, I kind of do. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if I'm gonna go in the same direction. Well, the two records are uh, "Argy Bargy" by Squeeze and "Get Happy" by Elvis Costello. And let's just play the two back to back. I think that's a perfect way to do it. Sounds good. So this is uh, pulling muscles from a shell from "Argy Bargy," and then we're gonna listen to "The Imposter" from "Get Happy."
so that was The Imposter by Elvis Costello. And before that, we heard Pulling Muscles from a Shell by Quiz. I had this big analogy, Henry, that I wanted to run by you, but now now that I think about it, I'm just not even going to bring it up. What did you think of Squeeze, Argy Bargy? I know you kind of dug that record. Okay, so I thought it was moderately well-written songs about a uh, posh sort of possibly suburban uh, white English existence. That's what I felt about it. The songs are all about the minutiae of people's romantic life, day-to-day English things. Through and through. Even the title of the record, Argy Bargy, is about is, is a, some sort of British colloquialism, right? Which, which is about arguing something with each other, arguing a topic between each other in an animated way. Oh, you're getting Argy Bargy about it. You know, right, something right, like that. right. That's- so it, the record felt just distinctively English in nature to me. Now, we consider, we're considering this record in the same at the same time as we're considering um, Elvis Costello, right? Uh, yeah, quintessential English record as well. You would think that too. You think that too that that Costello's was English too. Well, I think he is a quintessential English uh, artist. I think there's an R and B element on Get Happy that wasn't on any of his earlier work, which kind of distinguishes this record from the from the three he did in the uh, before this, but. Uh, definitely, it's English. Is it the keyboards that make it sound so R and B? No, or maybe I'm just so used to hearing Elvis Costello that way that I don't that I'm not considering it a big departure or something. I think you need to listen to Armed Forces uh, next to this one and then see what you think. Were the songs as short? No, uh, the short song thing I think had more to do with alcohol and cocaine and. What was going on in their lives at the time that it had to do with a purposeful, we're going to do a bunch of short songs. Also, also, I think there was that thing going on at the time. There's an element of ska and, you know, the whole madness, that band madness thing was going on around that time, which was, and, and, you know. Oh, I, yeah, because there was some, but I didn't, it wasn't overt. Well, I mean, it's it didn't Elvis bang Costello. You over the head. He's not going to bang you over the head with his, I mean, it still sounds like Elvis Costello. He's English. The, best, the worst they can do is poison your tea, right? Yeah, I mean, I, so, I, yeah, and Nick Lowe's <laughs> producing this thing, right? So it's going to be, yeah. it's going to have a particular sound. Yeah, um, it's not like he went and did Muscle Shoals. So I listened to this record while I was um, working outside, and every song that comes on, maybe this is the mark of a good song. I felt like it was over too soon. It, every re- every song sort of faded itself out, you know. Like the song, it's great, 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 great. Now it's gone, and so I kept thinking, well. It's almost like I didn't feel like they were fully formed. Like I felt like there was more to there was more to it. Well, and I guess the reason and I I think you totally disagree with this, but I think the reason I wanted to compare or uh, put these records together was I truly think that the Squeeze record is literally trying to be an Elvis Costello record, not Get Happy, which is Elvis Costello doing a departure a little bit. But they came out at the same time, so they wouldn't have known what Get Happy sounded like. But I think this is definitely, for me, Argy Bargy is like a more palatable um, armed forces for an American audience, which I don't know this for a fact, but I think Pulling Muscles from Michelle was a bigger hit than, you know, if you ask your, if you ask a 40 something year old female white person on the street who grew up on 80s music, do you remember Squeeze? They're going to remember 
tempted by the fruit of another way more than they're going to name any Elvis Costello song, except maybe the one off the very first record he did, which I think had a lot more to do with who is this weird guy named Elvis? Doesn't he know that we already have an Elvis and he wears these goofy glasses? Whose name is, by the way, Declan. Right. Which is brilliant. Is it Declan? I think is it, it was, Declan? I thought it was Declan, but... Maybe if you're from the South, you say Declan. <laughs> hey, Declan, come over here. Is it Declan or Declan? But yeah, I always... Henry saw Squeeze as one of these kind of uh, Elvis Costello rip-off bands. And maybe it's because I'm well, a big Elvis Costello fan. Two, two things. So. I never cared about the Squeeze. This did not make the me... The Squeeze. Cool. I don't... It's always going to be that. I don't know why. It's always... You're going to... They're not... You've never corrected it. In the 30 not, years we've known each other, the you've squeeze. never... I don't if know... If I've ever we, said the squeeze, you never said it was wrong. I don't think we've ever had a conversation about squeeze. Because we don't and give if, a shit if, about them. If we... Neither I, do I. I apologize. In any conversation that we have, I get unfairly... T- like... um Anyway, uh, well, let's talk about some of the more interesting little tidbits from these records, because I, I think okay. everyone knows I'm going to be a huge thumbs up on Get Happy, and I'm uh, a and huge will, thumbs down on Argy Bargy. And I will be a big, uh, I will be a big thumbs up on Get Happy. I will be a uh, meh on Argy Bargy. It has its moments. So the the R and B element that we are supposedly hearing on Get Happy that wasn't on Armed Forces, which by the way I can't say Armed Forces enough because to me, it is one of the 10 best records like that's a great record. of all time. Yeah. But uh, Get Happy is a great record. But, Henry, what is the legend behind why he did an R&B okay. tinged the record? The story is that he was in a, uh, a bar with uh, two people. One moment, and I'll have some data in front of me here. Stephen Stills was one of them, right? Stephen Stills and... And I don't know what her last name was, but it was Bonnie... Something from Bonnie and Delaney. Do you remember Bonnie and Delaney? Uh, Bramlett? Bonnie Bramlett? Bonnie Bramlett. Okay. Okay. I knew of something about this. Wasn't vaguely. this like in Columbus, I, Ohio? I heard about it. but According I never, to Wikipedia? I had never seen it written about. Somebody must have told me or I read about it in a magazine at the time or something. But he referred to James Brown as a jive-assed N-word. And Ray Charles as and a Ray Charles as a blind, ignorant N-word. Now, so what he said later that Bonnie Bramlett goes to the press and says that he said this stuff. He apologized. He called a press conference in New York City and said that he he had been drunk and he he was trying to be obnoxious to bring the conversation to a swift conclusion. Um, and let's be careful with this. Because if somebody called me out on my... The man was 26 years old, okay? What were they doing? What were those three people doing? Young and full of piss and vinegar. What were those three? And could drink... It was probably blind fucking drunk. What were those three people doing in a bar in Columbus, Ohio? So so Stephen Stills, Bonnie from Bonnie and Delaney, and Elvis Costello walk into a bar? It's like a bad (laughs) joke. (laughs) Stephen Stills, Elvis Costello, and Bonnie Bramlett... All walking to a bar. What show are the they joke, playing? You don't know the, the... What, what show are they playing together? So yeah, you're right. I back to your original point. Yeah, he was 26 years old. Yeah. Um, Get happy is infamous as well as being a cocaine fueled record. So, so maybe there was some of that going so, on. So there's some talk that the R and B influence in here was either consciously was a conscious was a nod to way to apologize uh, to or, atone for right. Uh, saying I actually like for these making people blatant and, racist 
yes. comments. I was super drunk. As a 26-year-old uh, man in the early 80s, obviously people do embarrassing things when they're young, and he did one too. And, uh, yeah, so, again, I, I, there's going to be some other bands that we're going to cover later in the 80s that I see as obvious um, Elvis Costello wannabes or ripoffs. Henry may disagree with me on this. Well, I don't know that like I can call Huey Lewis. Yeah, I don't know. Marshall Crenshaw. I can't see any connection between the work of Elvis Costello and Huey Lewis. And it's, wow. Really? There's no, like, I can't see any connecting tissue. There. Okay, good for you. I mean, what... Uh, so yeah, there's, uh, I see that as, uh, there's kind of a family tree from the Elvis Costello creating a, a sound similar to the way from my generation or my time period in the nineties where Bell and Sebastian created a sound like the mm. twee sound. And then all of a sudden there's a bunch of twee sounding would you, would band. You, would you call it pop? Uh, I don't know what you call it. That was singer, my, song, pop singer songwriter. No, I don't know what to call it, but I, I know it when I see it. Like I know Marshall Crenshaw and Nick Lowe and I would have put Marshall Joe Crenshaw Jackson and Nick Lowe and in the split same, in the same box. Elvis Costello all have the same thing that I kind of think was invented by Elvis Costello, but maybe it's because I'm a fan. But yeah, I'm gonna give uh, Argy Bargy an eh. I'd give it a meh. Okay, and, the, and here's I'm gonna the give, reason get, why. get happy at thumbs. I up. never would have thought that I would actually enjoy a Squeeze album. I kind of did. I found it painfully um, long to get through. Like I just was waiting. Was there? An, I, this is what I thought after hearing "Pulling Muscles" from Michelle. Is there going to be another hit? If not, <laughs> I, don't know. I felt a little di- differently than that. So yeah. you're going to give it a man. I'm going to give it a sideways. Like if I if it's if it's thumbs up or thumbs down, I'm going to give you a sideways. sideways. Okay. It's worth listening to if you've ever dismissed Squeeze as being like tempted by the fruit of another. Go back to that record. And I will tell you, I did learn that John Cale from the Velvet Underground produced their first two records. So I'm curious to hear what they might have sounded. What do you think of the first? If, and if this one was the sellout, what were the what are the other two? And I didn't didn't listen to those yet, but I'm going to uh, check out the album cover for the uh, first record. It's a doozer. What is it? I'm just let are you, they on it? Let because you, it seemed like every one that you, I looked at, they were on. I'll just let you check that one out. Um, and so what, thumbs up or thumbs down on the get happy? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Okay. Like it a lot. Wish you'd given me more. Well, Wished it was a double album of, of longer songs. 40 songs or 20 longer But versions. maybe that was the beauty of it, you know? So let's go to our pick of the week. Henry, what is your pick of the week going to be? This is going to be or controversial. Pick of the month. I guess we're going to call right, it pick so of the month. So why do people listen to music? They do it because they like it or do they really want to hear something interesting? Sometimes I want to hear the train wreck. Oh boy, I've heard this. I've heard this out of you before. Yeah, this is uh, because I, it was so strangely foreign and bizarre that it was like a, it was like that uh, car accident that you pass. I mean, you know, it can't help but draw your eye. So you're picking the so pick of because the month I know you're going to no because I know you're going to pick Elvis Costello. And because the uh, the hits on Bob Seger are so obvious and good, and because uh, Burning Spear, his entire career is good, I'm going to pick, controversially, the Ramones' end of the century, because I think you need to hear what this man, in addition to killing two people, 
This guy took the Ramones and fucked them up. Phil Spector. Yes. Yes. Listen to that and renew your hatred for Phil Spector. Well, uh, good choice, Henry. I would I would not have chosen that one, but you're going to be surprised by my choice because my pick of the month for February 1980 is, oh, come on, it's Get Happy by Elvis <laughs> Costello and the Attractions. It's one of the best records I thought you were of pick the Argy 80s. Bargy. How am I going to pick Argy Bargy or... Uh, no disrespect to Burning Spear, but uh, you know I, I that's thought, a decent record. End of the century is terrible. I thought for sure we would argue more about Argy Bargy. I will. I will. I, I will. was gonna. I, I was fully ready to tell you that record wasn't that good. I'm fully that you were ready gonna to like tell it. you that as well, but I, I don't because I texted you this week and you were like, "Don't bother, don't don't hit me with the latest bullshit on the phone." I'm listening to Argy Bargy and don't. Well, I was I was mood. giving it a fair shot. I'm, and, well and, done, and folks, sir. We're going to give every record that we review a fair yeah. shot. Um, and I will say this: going into the week, I listened to Bob Seger first, and I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it might be pick of the month, and then I remembered that Get Happy was on the list, which I have to say maybe I should recuse myself from reviewing my favorite records because this is one of my favorite records from my own collection. So. That's my pick of the week, though. If you if you want to want to hear the best record of February nineteen eighty, easily. And if you want to hear the worst one, <laughs> listen to the Ramones into the century. Yeah. So Henry, coming up in March, we've got some uh, exciting records. One from Billy Joel. One from one of your. Uh, this is actually one of your favorite records that we've talked about recently. Uh, a little record called Duke by Genesis. Oh goodness gracious! This is a record that you love. Uh, another record that I've never heard, and I don't even know who this guy is, but it got a five star. So we're going we're gonna to review it. Art Pepper. Huh. You know who Art Pepper is? Never heard of him in either. my life. Can't wait to hear that. And then we're also going to cover an album by George Winston. That should be exciting. Is it a jazz record? I, I, Are you making me listen to a jazz album? I'm not sure. And then we're also going to cover uh, a record by a band called X. Oh, yeah. So, Man, I'd like to listen to them. So that should be a good month. So, yeah, uh, tune in next month. And, Henry, tell them, tell them this stuff. So, you know, if you like our show or if you like the records we're choosing or if you don't. Or if we're missing a record. Or, right. Or if we're missing one. Uh, we'd like for you to rate uh, our show. Review us on iTunes. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher. Share it with your friends. Yeah, and right now, while we're still small, the biggest thing you can do if you really want to get this thing going as a community is Contact us on Twitter. Um, let us know what you think, and let us know some your thoughts on these records. So on Twitter, we are at Eighties Exposed. So it's at Eighties Exposed. And is that eight spelled zero, out? No, it's at Eight Zero S Exposed. So it looks like sex in the middle. So it's right. like Eighties Exposed. If you want to email us, it's going to be Eighties Music Exposed at Gmail dot com. Eighties Music Exposed. And that's Eight Zero S. Right. 80s music exposed at gmail.com uh, and whatever other avenues we uh, we decide to go with we'll probably do an Instagram also you may be inter- interested you may be interested in our sister pod it's been well underway since what October November of last year it's called the no GD band podcast we're decidedly more current we're a little less wistful maybe a little less professional we do a different whiskey every pod. And uh, and our our level of inebriation varies from week to week depending on what we've done. But we discuss current events of the day. We get off topic. We talk about current music, so stuff that's going on today, and run things in the ground that way. So sure. So uh, join us next time for March of nineteen eighty. 
That's great. Hey, Chris. What? I made you a mixtape.